the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. What makes someone a leader? Today's guest, Ash Beckham, challenges us to embrace a different vision of leadership, one in which we stop focusing on external authorities and start reclaiming our own ability to create change. According to Ash, we need people to step up and be the change they wish to see in the world. Ash is an inclusion activist, leadership expert, professional trainer, and author of Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. Welcome, Ash. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. So, Ash, you say that you had no intention of entering the public speaking space, and yet here you are. So how did you get started doing this type of work? Well, you know, I was, um, it was about 10 years ago, and I was inspired by seeing somebody else do it. There was an event in Boulder uh, called Ignite that I went to, which is, if you've ever seen the platform, you have five minutes exactly, the slides auto-advance every 15 seconds. Their tagline is, enlighten us, but make it quick. So it was this really uh, just very fun event that happened in town. And, and I went to go see it for the first time. Uh, and there was a guy there that talked about his ups and downs with weight loss. And he was so, and, you know, nobody in Boulder talks about that for sure. Men certainly never talk about that. And so to be able to have somebody speak in that way so authentically, so honestly, um, the feeling that he evoked in the audience, I was like, that, I want to do that. Um, so then the next time it came up, it was like a personal challenge for me. The next time the applications were there, I, um, I threw my hat in the ring and knew it was going to have to be something personal and something I was passionate about. And, you know, where I lived, it was a pretty progressive place. So, um, you know, gay rights, gay marriage really wasn't there. But having kids, you know, friends that had kids, they were really, um, they were, you know, the, the use of the word gay in a pejorative way was still very prevalent. And, and so that's kind of what I landed on and, and got some got lucky that it got some traction online. And that led to a TED talk. And then um, and then all of a sudden I was a I was a speaker. It was a it was a tough adjustment for me, but but mm-hmm. I loved it. Well, and I find the people that make the greatest impact in the world are people that talk from the heart. They're sharing something that's important to them and personal. Absolutely. And I think that's what, that's what resonated, right? It, it, it wasn't perfect. It was something, you know, I feel like sometimes we, even, even 10 years ago, it, it felt like, you know, we were divisive and we feel like, you know, our experience is wholly our own and, and nobody can relate to it. And if you haven't been through what I've been through, then you don't know what it's like to be me. But that really puts up these walls that are pretty artificial, you know, like we all know what it's like to, to be afraid of what somebody else thinks. We all are afraid that if we, we say something or we share our truth, whatever that truth may be, that we'll be isolated or people will see us differently. And it doesn't necessarily matter what that truth is, right? That feeling is the same. And, and so I tried to kind of bring people together on, on that concept. And, and, and it felt like um, something that, that really resonated with some people. So I, I, felt, I felt lucky to be able to have that connection. So then you went on to develop a step-up program that provides guidance to help cultivate leadership. So how did you make that transition to leadership? And then how did you decide to create this program? Sure. So it was really, I was, I was lucky enough to be out speaking. I was speaking uh, at universities and in corporate environments and at conferences um, and, and really kind of giving, giving people this idea of inclusive leadership and, and, and meeting these incredible people. And I would meet them afterwards and 
they they would say, oh, I loved your program. You know, the, I love I love this idea of, of being a leader. When I dot dot dot, I'm really going to implement it. And so it was. Uh, people were always waiting for something. When I get that degree, when I manage that, you know, when I have eight direct reports, when I have a budget line that is X amount of dollars, right? It was it was always something that people were waiting for. And and I would ask people in the room, you know, how many how many people see themselves as leaders? And you know, depending on the demographic, you know. 30 to 50% of the hands would go up. And then you would ask the same question, who thinks the person sitting to their left is leader? And all the hands would go up. So it was really, it wasn't the fact that people weren't leading, it's that they weren't embracing that role themselves. They weren't seeing themselves in that way. And so that was the piece of step up is, is it doesn't matter if you're the, you know, Fortune 50 CEO or the captain of the, you know, 10U soccer team, you can lead from exactly where you are. And you don't even have to be the captain, right? You could be you'd be the kid that starts on the bench, but everybody can lead from exactly where they are. And, and so the idea is creating this this toolkit because you know, they say when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yeah. So we we approach leadership in this way of this is how this is how it's supposed to be. We have to be we have to be strong or we have to be bold or we have to be powerful. And and I just don't think that that's that's the case. A, I think that that turns off the concept of leadership to so many people and makes it seem inaccessible. And also different situations require a different skill set. And and so the idea of step up was was that we would hone these skills, these practices that would allow us in any situation to assess what do I need? Do I need courage? Do I need um, a little bit of authenticity, you know, and a lot of humility? Like what is the exact recipe in the situation to allow me to be the leader that I want and need. That was the evolution. Well, you just described, I mean, it's really so on point because when we think of a leader, we do think it's that person who's in charge of something, but we lead in everything we do every day. And when you start to realize that about yourself, it really does change the way you live your life. And you just started to touch upon it, but you have eight pillars of leadership. Would you take us through those eight pillars and just describe them briefly? Yeah, absolutely. And so... The first one is empathy, which to me is is the root and the start of, of everything. Like you can't you can't get into this work in the, in the way that we discuss if if you're not willing to have a willingness to to dive in and see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. And, and again, you know, empathy doesn't mean you have to agree with somebody. It just has it has it's a willingness to understand their why. How did they get there? And if you if there's no agreement, right? You don't you don't have to even condone what they're doing. You just have to be willing to dive in then we can empathize with anybody, right? That, that really opens it up to me. Um, and then as we move through it, everything develops each other. So the next one is individuality. And that's really embracing that, that my leadership style can, be, can play to my strengths, right? If I am that really gregarious, outspoken social person, that can be part of my leadership repertoire. And if I'm not, and if I'm more thoughtful and more introverted, then, then that can play to it as well because there are people that are like me. There are people that are going to that relate to that type of leader. And then we get into uh, grace, which is, which is this, you know, the idea of this like 10,000 foot view that you can, that you have to be able to see everything from a, from a larger perspective that we're really mindful of the way we approach things. And then courage, obviously, no matter how you define courage, it, it's critical to, to step into this leadership role because by definition, we're changing our patterns and, and that takes some bravery. And, and the courage isn't the absence of fear, right? We never get to the point where we're not afraid. Courage is really that idea that, that we, we feel the fear, right? That's how we know we're doing the right thing, that we're pushing our limits and we're brave enough to do it anyway, that we know the result on the other side is worth the fear that we're facing. So, so that's really what courage is meant. Humility, you know, I think when we get when we get some of that courage under our belt and when we have this this positive loop of of what's happening when we act in this leadership role, we can we can get uh, you know a little a little big for our britches. So how do we keep it in context, right? How do we how do we know how do we never forget where we've come from and and the steps that we've taken, and also know that we don't have all the answers, right? It isn't our role to to create a roadmap; it's to empower people to to create their own roadmap. And then patience, which is the one that I always have to work on. We just live in a world that demands the opposite of patience, right? Because everything is so quick. It happens so quickly. You have to make all of these these decisions. But but taking that beat, that moment, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to put off that email for a day. But when you feel the reaction, you're having a reaction you don't really want to have, right? Then, or it's a reaction that could be detrimental to your leadership role. 
you know, go go grab a cup of water, go listen to your favorite song, do do the thing that breaks that pattern that really allows you to to make the decisions that you want to make, to, to be the person you want to be, that you're you can have a reaction, but how do we train ourselves to not be reactive? And then and then responsibility obviously is huge that that we, we have to take responsibility for our actions, that when we when we are courageous, right? Or when we we don't practice patience or, or, or when we, you know, do or don't have empathy, our we don't exist in a vacuum, right? Like, even though this is our work and this is our practice, that there really is a way that we impact other people. So when we do make those mistakes, how do we address those, correct those, move on and be better last time? I mean, one of my favorite, my Angela quotes is that you, um, you know, do good and until you know better and then do better, right? Mm-hmm. So so how do you how do you learn from those those mistakes and stay in it when it gets awkward. And then the last one is authenticity, which is really bringing that all together, which is embracing all of those parts of yourselves and knowing that this is a work in practice and that we're really uh, moving towards something higher, but it isn't going to be without these stumbles and these pitfalls, because if you're not making mistakes, then you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Um, so that, that kind of like those pillars set up this, this, this uh, very welcoming style of leadership that you can embrace the things you're already good at and, and work at the things that, that are maybe, you know, inherently challenging to you, but then you have a full tool set to address any leadership situation. And you and I are talking about these pillars in relationship to leadership, but really, what great traits to embody just to, to live a happy, empowered life? Absolutely. And I think, and just, you know, to go back to, to kids again, or, you know, young kids in our lives, whether they're ours or not, like to think of developing these these skills as a, you know, 10, 12, 14, or like as a middle schooler and, and to really know yourself that well, to, to know the things that you practice would, would just be so empowering to, to feel grounded in, in any situation. And like you said, I, I think that's so critical, right? Like it isn't in these organizational structures where we can be a leader. You know, you see somebody that holds the door for somebody else at the grocery store, or you see somebody who, um, you know, let somebody go in front of them in line when they only have two items, right? Like there, there are these, these acts of kindness that, that are outside of a, a work school structured environment that are so impactful. Like to me, that is leadership. And it isn't the people that you, you know, on the org chart lead. It's the people that see you and how you behave in your everyday life. And, and I think that, that it is, you know, when we, when we practice these things and, and, and we evolve into these, these versions of ourselves that we want to be, that, that this leadership style and these, this authentic lifestyle that we live, you know, isn't something we do, it's someone we are. Like, we don't have to think twice about it because it's just how we operate. Um, and so I think that's the, the practice piece that's so critical. And just like you said, it, it isn't something we do at work. It's not like, you know, we close our laptop and then all of a sudden the stuff goes out the window, right? We do it with our kids. We do it with our friends. We do it in our communities. That's that's the most important part of the work. And just think of the impact we would have on our relationships, how much more loving and the, the closeness we could have with another human being just by practicing some of these things you're teaching. Yeah, and I think when we see that something, you know, I know that patience is so hard for me, um, but then I see somebody that practices it. And, you know, at, at first glance, maybe I'm frustrated by the length of time it takes them to do something. But if I really dig in, I can admire, well, they're just, they're just patient. They're just mindful. They're just thoughtful. Like I can, I can learn from that. I think, you know, by extension, if we're willing to, to start off with empathy, we can see the things that are maybe frustrating in others through a different lens and, and see it really as a strength and, and something that we would, we would emulate and, and want to do, want to be more like, right. And then mm-hmm. when, when you see that, then like you said, that changes, changes our relationship significantly when, when we're, when we admire the people that, you know, previously we created struggles for. And just think the impact that it would have if these things were taught to our, let's even say high school age students or younger, it would have such an impact on bullying and the way we treat other people. Absolutely. And I think that that's such, such a critical piece, right? Because kids are so, so open to that, right? They don't have 30, 40, 50 years of training where, where some of our reactions or some of our assumptions or some of our biases are so ingrained that they make it harder to break where we, you know, kids don't, you don't, you're not born hateful. You're not born judgmental, right? Those are learned traits. And the longer we have those, the harder they are to break. But if you take high schoolers, right, and, and how much of that for them is just social survival, right? They do the things because they're trying to exist in a world that, that they don't have the tools 
to, to be empowered enough to exist in. And so if we can give them the tools to be able to do that and, and that becomes our cultural norm, then then I think everybody can be this fullest version of themselves. And and like you said, it, it creates these environments where where anyone can flourish. Everyone is welcome for exactly who they are because that's what everyone's doing. There's no mold to fit. There's no box to fit in. Like you don't even have to fit. You don't have to fit in somebody else's box. You don't have to fit in your own box, right? Where we take off those limitations and, and like you said, just think of, think of the impact they could have. For as long as I've been doing this work, every time I have a conversation like this, I always think to myself, if we could just get to the kids before they get older, my age, and we have to undo all the damage that's been done in the way they think and the way we treat other people. So this is really, I think, so important to get to the kids when they're younger. Absolutely, 100%. And I think such a huge piece of it is, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's the way we're ingrained. It's what we think. And, and, and to me, the first change is how do we see ourselves, right? How are, are we willing to dive in? and see ourselves as imperfect humans, right? That are, that are working on something that we can look at ourselves with humility, that we're not trying to, you know, uh, accomplish these, these things that are set up by other people. But if we can have that, if we can feel empowered and grounded and solid in ourselves. I think that's of course the first step to, to being able to extend that to other people, you know, like, of course mm-hmm. it's a balance. You don't do it individually, but, but so much of the judgment, so much of the, persecution so much of that comes from a um an inability to see one's own strength right to to, to see one's um limitations not as not as shortcomings but as opportunities for advancement so instead of you know we can create strong confident mindful kids that's that's where everything i mean then the whole game changes right yeah because you've been working to try to foster inclusion and what do you think is the, the biggest roadblock to what you're seeing out there? Would this be a game changer or is it something else? Well, I think this, I think this would be a game changer for sure. I, I think a, a huge piece of it, honestly, is an inability, not even an inability. Let me rephrase that. An unwillingness to have hard convers for parents to have hard conversations with their kids, right? Like if, we're, if we want to change the way that kids see the world, they are smarter than we give them credit for. And they're figuring stuff out, whether we're helping them or not. So our unwillingness to have those difficult conversations to me is, you know, conversations that are about things that are hard, like race, like sexuality, like bias, right? And they can all be age appropriate. Those are all things that are, that are, that are normalized. But if we can normalize difference, but I, I feel like, for so much of that, we don't feel comfortable. We don't feel like we have all the answers. And I feel like for, for so much of that, that's okay. Like our kids don't expect us to have the answers if we have a willingness to, to help find the solutions with them. So, so to me, you know, it, it's all of this, you know, there's so much that we can say that is external that needs to be changed. It could be fixed to do whatever. But if we all did our own work, to me, that would be enough. Then we're moving in the right direction. We're so worried. It kind of, we let ourselves off the hook and this altruistic way of wanting to make the world a better place. Like, let's, let's keep our own house clean and, and, and then go out and do that work. Well, you're right, because if, if we don't have the conversation, the kids are going to learn. I mean, when you know, I'm older now. When I was younger, in the dark ages, you know, learning it out on the street was a much different thing than learning it out there now. The the messaging, the media, the music, the social media, these kids are, are going to get a, a totally different story than the one that you want to teach them. Absolutely. And, you, you know, I, I always think of it as like if we we talk about something that's, that's a more sensitive subject, that it's more nuanced. Right. So we talk about we talk about race. We talk about sexual orientation. We talk about any of those kind of divisive topics that, that make us squirm a little bit like, you know, whoever the bully in the back of the bus. Like, I wouldn't want him to teach my kid algebra. I certainly don't want him to teach my kids about race or confrontation right or any of these like these significant topics like but like you said they're going to learn that there anyway they're going to learn in the back of the bus they're going to learn it on their phones they're going to learn it talking about their friends and not to say you know we are the only resource they're ever going to have but but we are that balanced resource and to have those challenging conversations early again we're not going to wrap it up in a 15 second soundbite right but what we want is for our kids to come back with questions we want that door to always be open to us for conversations and the same with our friends too right like as an lgbtq person i i don't want if somebody says something that's offensive or 
or says something that's hurtful, I give them the benefit of the doubt, right? I, I, I think that their ignorance and not ignorance, stupidity, ignorance, lack of knowledge is, is something that I can, I can help with, right? And if they're repeatedly saying anything or, or they're overly disparaging, sure, like we can cut ties there. But, but what I want is to, I don't want to put them in their, their place, right? I don't want to, you know, jump up on my soapbox. I want them when they have a question that's more in depth, that's more personal, to see me as a, as a resource, right? Not somebody who's going to judge them for not being woke enough or not being enlightened enough, right? And so, so how do I see that as a leadership role as well? And so I think that that's a, that's a critical piece is, is like you said, our kids, our kids and, and other adults, like they're going to find the resources. Let's do our best to make sure they at least have access to good ones. Yeah. And, you know, like I've always said, knowledge is power and it might as well come yeah. from us and be the lessons that we want them to learn. Exactly. And just like you said, like they're going to hear the other thing. So either they, they hear the one side of it and they hear nothing or they hear our version as well. Right. And, yeah. and, and there's no way that that's not additive. That, that doesn't fit, you know, despite what teenagers would want. Like there's parts of it that just stick in, stick in their brain. But the problem is we just never know what's going to stick. So how do we kind of continue that, continue that conversation? The book is Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. Ash, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Absolutely. Well, if they go to ashbeckham.com, that's my website. And then on social media, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, I'm at Ash Beckham. And then Instagram is at the Ash Beckham. Um, And I'd love to, to, again, have continuing conversations with people and, and, and see their um, how they evolve in, in these practices and, and what they do and, and what their struggles are. And, and I think we just, you know, celebrate and, and, and commiserate together and, and create a community where we can have these, these deeper conversations, I think, is, is always added because I think the most important thing is for people to know that they're not alone. Like, your struggle is, it might not be the same as my struggle, but, but we're all carrying something. Ash, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? I would say if this is something that you're interested in, right, of really embracing embracing that inner leadership that you have, that you inherently have in, in your body, it exists despite your willingness to see it, I would say do something this week that makes you a little bit nervous, right, that, that pushes your boundaries of leadership a little bit. And maybe that's just looking yourself in the mirror, looking yourself in the eye and saying, I am a leader. Maybe that's the scariest thing you do. Maybe it's volunteering to be involved in something. Maybe it's having a difficult conversation. But I think we are so, um, it's so easy for us to know when we're pushing our limits because we get that, that pit in, a, in the bottom of our stomach. of like, should I do this? It's outside of my comfort zone. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Like, that, that's it. Because I think what we do is we build our resilience to that. So, so I would challenge everybody who's willing to, to be on this journey to, to do something that makes them a, a little bit uncomfortable and, and see and know that you've gotten through 100% of the hard things you've ever done. And, and so let's, let's build that resilience up and, and really put you out there as, as the leader that, that everyone else sees you to be. Ash, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been such a great conversation, and I appreciate you being here. Oh, absolutely, Joan. I love it. And thank you so much for, for what you do and, and bringing, bringing these voices in, into the world. They, they need to hear them so much. So I appreciate you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. 
You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. This November 26th, kick off the holiday season at the Totowa and West Patterson Fire Department's spectacular Holiday Lights Parade. The parade begins at 6 p.m. on Union Boulevard in Totowa, New Jersey, and travels to McBride Avenue in Woodland Park. Fire departments from around the region will take part with beautifully decorated apparatus, and Santa will wrap up the parade to bring a smile to everyone's face. There will be special guests and lots of fun to make memories that last a lifetime. We hope to see you there. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about what we can expect from this upcoming flu season is Dr. Ian Smith, a former co-host of the Emmy Award-winning talk show, The Doctors. Dr. Smith was a medical correspondent for NBC News. He's a New York Times bestselling author who has written for various publications, including Time, Newsweek, and Men's Fitness. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm glad to be with you. So, Doctor, flu season is here, and we're still in the midst of dealing with COVID. How will the cold and flu season impact the current pandemic? Well, that's a great question, Joan. You know, last year we had a very mild cold and flu season. And the big reason why it was so mild was because the things that we were doing to prevent COVID, such as washing our hands often, being socially distanced, wearing our masks, those kind of measures to prevent COVID are also the same measures that are very important to preventing the transmission of cold and flu. So we don't know how it's going to be this year. Um, the cold and flu season, of course, kicks off about this time of year in October um, and typically peaks in a couple of months. And so what we want people to do is to understand that continuing to doing those things that we did last year can be very important at avoiding uh, the common cold and flu. And so all these preventive measures are very, are very good for us. Doctor, what vitamins and supplements do you recommend for prevention and healing? Yeah, you know, you can boost your immune system with vitamins C, D, and E. Uh, that does not mean that you're going to automatically not, you know, come down with uh, an infection. If you do boost your immune system and you do use these vitamins that you can get through either natural foods or through supplements, at least your immune system is primed. And so it may shorten the length of the disease. It may shorten the severity of the disease. And that's what we're really trying to do. None of these over-the-counter medications, by the way, uh, can cure the common cold or cure the flu, but they can relieve symptoms. And most of us who have been afflicted by these uh, unfortunate situations that we want our symptoms to go away as soon as possible. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the focus. And what about food? What types of things should we be eating to promote immune health and what should we avoid? Yeah. So, you know, let's start with the avoid. Avoiding processed foods, things that are high in sugar and high in fat. Uh, these are not helpful at all for our immune system or for getting our bodies ready to fight disease in the case that we encounter it. Uh, but loading up your plate with colorful fruits and vegetables. These are full of antioxidants. That's very important. Whole grains are extremely important. Uh, and we want people also to understand something, that if you eat food that is closer to how it comes out of the ground or off the tree, it tends to have more of those vitamins, minerals, and nutrients uh, in the more bioavailable space, which means that your body can actually use them better because they're, they're not broken down. They're in the more natural state. That's extremely important. And so while we're talking about colds and flu, what you're advising is just, you know, a really good practice anytime for general overall well-being. Listen, Joan, we've been saying this and your grandmother and mother told you this as a little girl, you know, washing your hands, sneezing into your elbow, into a tissue, making sure you wash down surfaces during the winter. Uh, these are all things that we've known for a long time. And what we've seen is it actually works. We were doing it not because we we're being good. We we're doing it because we were trying to prevent, um, you know, getting COVID. But we see now that it works. And so I'm hoping that it's, that it's a, a wake-up call to everybody that doing these things can really keep you safe. And they're great preventive measures, along with uh, having something in your medicine cabinet to help you treat, treat you if you do, unfortunately, get infected and you're experiencing symptoms. And, Doctor, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I just think that, you know, as we head into this season, that people should be optimistic. We all want to get through the cold and flu season um, as unscathed as possible. And I think that these simple preventive measures make it make a big deal. Go to want more information about cold and flu, of course. You can go to my Instagram page, 
I have a lot of uh, free advice and I explain a lot of different situations. So my Instagram is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Joan, nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. The holidays are upon us, and for many people, this can be a time of anxiety and stress. Spending time with loved ones isn't always an easy feat. Joining us today to talk about how we can navigate the holidays is Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner and founder of Metro Hypnosis Center. Mary is the author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Joan, for having me. So, Mary, it's hard to believe that the holidays are here. It feels like this year has flown by. But here we are getting ready to spend time with family and friends and loved ones during the holiday season. But as anyone will tell you, it isn't always easy to navigate those types of gatherings. So what are some of your tips for helping us prepare for the holiday season? There's a lot of things we can do to prepare for the holiday season. A lot of times how we approach the holiday season comes from the mindset. So you want to look forward to the gatherings, and you can do that by clearing the mind, taking a deep breath, and you can, anytime you exhale, if you're having a thought that's feeling overwhelming about the holidays, because they are overwhelming for people, just on the exhale, just release it. And then you want to start putting in positive thoughts, like I'm going to have a good time at so-and-so's house. And you want to create affirmations. And you can do this a few weeks before you're going to attend the holiday party. And you can kind of create like a list of positive affirmations that you can start planting seeds in the mind so that you support yourself in having a good time at the holidays. Mary, why do you think the holidays are so stressful for many people? I think it's a mixed bag of things. I think family, we're not together all the time so much. So now you're coming from all different places and now you're convening, you're coming together in the home. Um, it might be the home you grew up. And a lot of times we tend to revert back to our, our childlike ways or we, we become the person, the younger person. And families tend to see us in the mind as the younger person. And they have difficulty in realizing that you're not that same young person you've grown up. So even each of us has to recognize that in our siblings or in our parents. And maybe we need to, in our mind, create a different relationship with the person so that you're not having the same conversations that go nowhere. You're actually having adult conversations, adult to adult, instead of adult to children or children to adult. And that really can help you. This year, after what we've all been through for the past few years with COVID, this is going to be a very different holiday season for people. So for those who are anxious to get back to what we call, quote unquote, normal, how can we navigate the holidays? You know, there's still a lot of fear. There's still a lot of concerns. So how can we get our mind into the holiday season when we have all of these fears? And a lot of people are going to have fears and be uncomfortable. So I want to first say that we should only do what we're comfortable doing. But what we can do is work on ourselves and work on clearing the fears. I think there's a lot of fear in some people still, fear to go out, fear to be in groups, and you don't want that fear and anxiety turn into panic attacks, which could very easily happen. So what you want to do is learn some techniques, some mindfulness techniques to help support you. So a good thing to do is just take a deep breath, release on the exhale, close your eyes, and I want you to... Allow yourself to be aware of where that fear or anxiety of getting together is. I want you to feel where it's living because it's living somewhere in your body. And I want you, when you identify where it is, I want you to actually imagine that you can pull it out of your mind or your body 
And I want you to imagine that you can pull it out and put it at a safe distance in front of you. And I want you to actually talk to the fear of anxiety or whatever it is that is creating this stress for you. And I want you to tell it that you are in control, that I am in control over you. I have the power and you have no power anymore. You need to go. And you say this a few times to the issue that's in front of you and it'll get smaller and smaller and then just get released. You need to take back the control instead of the fear. That's the really big thing with the mind is to get the control back instead of anxiety or fear. That technique can be used in any type of fear that we're facing. Right. It can be used for anything um, because most fears and anxiety, what happens is at one time we were in control of it, but then over time it became bigger and it became so big. Imagine in the mind, it's like starts out as like a little seed and then imagine the nervousness, the anxiety starts feeding it, and that fear just grows bigger and bigger. And now that's taking over your thoughts, and it's taking over how you will um, rule your life because now you're not going to places. And look, we all understand it's been a long three years, and we people might feel this. But when you realize that you actually can gain back that control over that issue or that emotion, then that empowers you so that you can be free to go to a family function, to uh, be in environments that you might not have before. Getting control over yourself is also important during the holidays because there are a lot of conversations that we really should steer away from when we're sitting at the holiday table. I, I remember someone said at Thanksgiving, bring up politics and you'll save a lot of money on Christmas gifts. So how can <laughs> we gain control over ourselves so that we keep our mouth shut and don't start problems? That self-control is not always an easy thing to have in family gatherings, is it, Joan? No. <laughs> but, we, <laughs> but we can uh, pause. I think if everyone paused before they responded, Joan, it would be very helpful. We are very reactive, and that's why we're, the argument's happening, because there's no filter, there's no pause. Now, it doesn't make the other person right in saying whatever they're saying that might be the hot topic that day. But there's ways of visualizing you before you go because you know the patterns are there, right? People have these patterns in their mind and they create these triggers. And there's sometimes these holidays or recycled holidays where you're having the same conversation, the same hot topics, right? You can visualize that it's going to be different this year and you can imagine yourself at the table and you can imagine yourself and visualize yourself there maybe creating some different uh, responses, maybe humor, uh, maybe redirecting or changing the conversation. You can't control someone else, but you can control you. And that's what you want to remember um, and, and create boundaries. You can ask before um, you go as well if, if this certain subjects are off the table. But if not, instead of you getting angry and upset, um, one of the things I visualize, if I'm in a negative environment, I actually imagine that I have a plastic shield in front of me. And I imagine that the words and the emotions and the tone that someone's saying are bouncing off of me or off of that, that shield. And I have to say that really helps. So I don't take in the emotions that that person is spewing at me. And I actually stay calmer. So that's a really nice visualization and technique to do live as well. Mary, we've been talking about people who are fortunate enough to have families and loved ones to spend the holidays with. But, you know, there are people who have experienced loss and they find themselves alone. I mean, this happened to me for the holidays after I lost my family, after everyone had passed away in a very short period of time. And I dreaded the holidays and it can be a very lonely time. So what advice do you offer to someone who's dreading the holidays because maybe they don't have someone to be with or they've lost a loved one or whatever it may be. They just hate this time of year. How can that person get through it? Right. And it is a very difficult time to navigate, especially if we've lost loved ones. We don't feel up to the holidays the same way. The holiday doesn't have the same excitement. And I think people need to be mindful of that for other people and respectful of that. But what you can do for yourself if you are in a situation where you're going to be on your own, um, and this has been happening for the last two or three years that people have been by themselves because of COVID. But um, what you can do is 
call people, use FaceTime, right, to include that. And what you can do, though, is allow yourself to release the emotion, to feel it, and to, you know, let it go, and or at least cry is, is something to release it, but to bring in calm and peace. And you can even visualize the emotions leaving you. And then I like to visualize if I'm going to bring in something that's comforting, I like to bring in light, light into my heart, especially if my heart is feeling sad or my heart is feeling lonely. I bring in this beautiful light and I imagine this beautiful love coming in to my heart and into my whole being. You can imagine the feeling or you can imagine something like the light coming in. doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong with it, but just imagine. And then you breathe it in, breathe in that comfort from the light and breathe in the love and the self-love and that you are safe and secure and that you are comfortable. And you just try different techniques that make sense to you that are soothing and comforting. Mary, you're talking about doing visualization. Is there a particular way that it needs to be done? I wouldn't say there's a specific way. I, I do like to have people take a breath or two and then kind of close their eyes and just kind of settle into the chair. And then just all this is is using your imagination really is when you go into the subconscious, just like in a daydream state. We, we all can kind of have gotten there at one time or another. So in that daydream state, where you are focused on whatever you're imagining or bringing into your life, um, that's the best way to do it. And then you just open your eyes when you're, you're done. But what I want you to do is when you are finished with the visualization, I want you to feel what you brought into into your life from the visualization, whether it's comfort, whether it's love, whether it's empowerment, whether it's calm, whether it's peace. Bring that out of that visualization. And if someone doesn't feel like he or she can do this on their own, how can hypnosis help them? Hypnosis can help in so many ways. And the best way to work with it is you can get a recording. Um, you can um, listen. I like even on my website um, at your hypnosis center, I have little um, small recordings that people can um, listen to. I do meditation uh, every week. And um, that's a place that people kind of come for a little community. Um, but hypnosis, you can just really keep doing the breathing. And again, just identify what it is you need to release and let go. And um, and just feel the calm. Because being mindful brings in such calmness and makes your life so much easier. And once again, as Mary just said, her website is metrohypnosiscenter.com. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How are you managing interruptions? The phone rings, calendar notifications pop up, social media alerts, text messages, working from home and the doorbell rings, working remotely, and there's construction work down the street. You get the point. Interruptions are everywhere. How do you stay focused? The art of getting work done, and even more so, getting your strategic work done, is as simple as writing it down. Write out your plan for the day, the week, and month in advance. Follow your plan. Look at your calendar periodically to keep you on target. If it is not in your plan, on your calendar, you do not have to respond to it at this time. Use your calendar as your guidepost. It gives you the direction you need throughout the day. You want to especially focus on what you want to do in the first half of your day. Know what your priorities are to achieve your daily objectives and stick to it. Align the work you do with the priorities you have set and write them out in your calendar. If you'd like to learn more about managing interruptions, the art of getting strategic work done, contact me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, staronprofessional.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club.
live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Eileen Lashinsky, a psychotherapist, empath, intuitive healer, and body image specialist. Eileen works primarily with women to support their emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Joan. I'm happy to be here. Eileen, you recently rebranded your business. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and why you made a few changes? I would love that. So, um, you know, I I have been um, feeling into this for quite a while. And I guess the best way I can explain it is that in my life, I have gone through a, a few identity crises. Um, The first one that was really um, important to me was when I had my own marketing and advertising business, and it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't resonating with me anymore. And I kept saying to myself, I can't sell another hot dog. It really felt like I was killing my soul to continue to do something that wasn't resonating with me anymore. So I went for my master's degree in social work from Boston University. And so of late, though, is the second really um, strong and impactful identity crisis. I, five years ago, started to study to be an intuitive healer because I was being called to do that. And the work that I was doing with women, which I love, 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 but the work that I was doing with women uh, and and uh, putting it out there primarily around body image, weight, and eating issues wasn't resonating any longer in and of itself. So I really needed to find something, a way to identify myself with myself, but also with the world uh, that really uh, integrated three main things that I do, I do well, I love to do, and again, primarily with women. So now it's under the overarching umbrella of Eileen Lashinsky, your soft place to land for healing. What you just described to us, I think so many women experience something similar, you know, to a different degree, but so many of us are trying to figure out what our, our next path may be. And, and I love that you're teaching us that we can keep rewriting the story. And thank goodness for that, because um, I, you know, I started off many, many years ago thinking that I was going to be um, an English teacher uh, for my whole life. And boy, has my uh, professional, my career path taken many twists and turns. And uh, I am a believer. This is what I have always said to myself, Joan. If I am a good person and I can pay my bill, I give myself permission to explore whatever it is that resonates with me that I feel that I want to do that would be of service to the world. And so, you know, this new umbrella, this soft place to land for healing is a result of all of the things that I have done um, in my life uh, that I really feel are of service to the world. And yes, we women can write our own stories at whatever point in our life we are at. You mentioned that your business now is, is about providing a soft place for women to land. Who could best yes. benefit from your services? I am a believer that anyone could benefit from some form of healing at some point in their lives where they feel they're alone, they're isolated, they're stuck in their pain. I think anyone can benefit, including men. But I think that uh, women go through particular life stage struggles, whether it's about what um, women's bodies go through in adolescence or about childbirth and how that changes one's identity or, oh, my goodness, menopause when so much of our unresolved stuff comes bubbling up to us. And then, of course, and this is where I am in my life as we age and having to deal with 
the changes, um, not the physical changes of menopause per se, but body changes and certain um, limitations because our bodies are getting older. Uh, and so the point being in my saying all of this is that all people, but particularly women, because of the life stage struggles, issues, challenges that we go through can benefit at any time in the lives of women, at any time. Yeah, and I do agree with you, Eileen. We can all use a safe place to land. So if you would like to learn more about Eileen Lashinsky and her work, you can visit EileenLashinsky.com. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was fun, and what a pleasure to be with you, Joan. Thank you. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>